The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Intelligence Talking Transports podcast. I'm your host, Lee Klasgow, Senior Freight Transportation Logistics Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Canadian Nationals President and CEO Tracy Robinson on the podcast today. Tracy was appointed President and CEO of CN in February of 2022 and is responsible for CN Strategic Direction and Leadership. Prior to joining CN, Tracy held senior leadership roles at TransCanada. Tracy's deep experience in the railroad industry stems from her 27 years at Canadian Pacific. There, she served in executive roles in the commercial, finance, and operational functions, including as General Manager of Transportation Services, Vice President and Treasurer, and Vice President Marketing and Sales. She's also uh, the Vice Chair of the Board of the Business Council of Canada. She is also a member of the Campaign Committee and the Dean's Advisory Council at the Edwards School of Business at the University of Saskatchewan. She holds a Master's of Business Administration from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business and a Bachelor's of Commerce from the University of Saskatchewan. She received her Institute of Corporate Directors designation in 2015. Welcome, Tracy, to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. So you've uh, been at the helm of CN since February of 2022. What's been the biggest challenge uh, that you've faced so far? Thanks, Lee. It's great to be back in the, the railroad industry. It's been a fantastic 18 months. Uh, we've got this railroad running. We were hitting levels of operating efficiency and customer service that we haven't seen in some time, which is exactly where we want to be uh, as we look into the future and think about things like, like growth and uh, economic growth for the continent and growth for our customers. Uh, right now, as we look forward in the immediate future, you know, there's a couple of challenges. One is getting the right talent in our organization. Uh, we're pretty serious about the way we run the operation in the railroad. Uh, we need the right talent, whether it be in the front line, the 24-7 uh, operations, we're an outdoor sport, whether it be the talent that's out there running trains and uh, working on locomotives and fixing track or here in head office. And, uh, you know, uh, that's coming along well as well. That's going to be a long-term effort as we look forward. The second challenge, of course, is a long-term one, and that is around, you know, safety. And that takes uh, investments in technology, and it takes leadership, and really it comes down at the end of the day to people as well. We aspire in, in our company to have zero harm, and that means zero serious injuries. It means um, zero fatalities. It means uh, zero impact on communities. It means uh, an ever kind of reducing impact on the environment. And um, so it's actually been a tremendous success story. In the eight years I was out of the industry, this is one of the things I noticed mostly when I came back, uh, was the the investment in technology around safety, whether it's the 
cars that run across the network that are constantly detecting the conditions of track, whether it's the wayside detection that is looking you know, at the quality of uh, the cars and the locomotives that run over the track. Uh, you know, it's been incredibly effective. Our derailments are down 90% over the last 10 years, and, uh, you know, we're continuing to make um, in progress on that. It's an exciting part of the, the business. Right. And, and you, you know, you keep on mentioning operations. And, and Canadian National just recently announced a change in the management on the operations side, long-term, or the long-term railroader and kind of legendary at Harris is stepping away and you're uh, elevating uh, two of your executives to EVPs. Can you talk a little bit about those changes and what that means for the railroad going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we um, early on uh, reverted back to uh, what we call a scheduled operating plan. And this is the core of our operating philosophy. Um, we launched it in April of uh, 2022. It's not the first time this company has operated under that plan. Uh, and, but it's just, it's a fairly simple thing. It's based on our having a plan that is built at the center that considers the volumes across the network and creates a plan that optimizes to the network as opposed to the different pieces on the network. Uh, and then, you know, it's a rigorous, disciplined execution of that plan. Uh, and then it's from a commercial perspective, you sell the capacity that's embedded in that plan. And if you do all of those things well, you end up with great operating efficiency, you end up with a resilient operation, and you um, end up with very strong customer service. So as we were making, uh, we were launching this plan in April, it occurred to me that we could use some help uh, from outside, from someone who knew the railroad well and who had done that the scheduled operating plan on this railroad before, and that was Ed Harris. And Ed had agreed to come in to do a couple of things. One is to uh, help us launch the new operating model and to get it running well. And the second was to spend a little bit of time with me in assessing the talent from an operations perspective. We had a couple of folks uh, in our organization that we'd had our eye on and uh, Ed's job was to mentor them and make sure that they were ready uh, and they were. So we've just, as you say, recently announced that we've put Pat Whitehead in our uh, chief network operations officer role and Derek Taylor in our chief field operations officer role. And this is a case of structure following strategy. So if we want, you know, um, our mantra is you build the plan, then you run the plan and you sell into the plan and the plan is sacred. Pat's role is to build the plan. So he's head up looking forward, what volumes that we're going to have, what locomotives we're going to need, uh, what kind of track um, conditions we're going to need and capacity. And he's building that plan. Uh, to optimize that the whole and, and to build into our future. Derek's job is to run it every day. It's 24-7. He runs it every day. And our commercial team, uh, is, uh, is uh, their job is to sell into it. So that works for us. It's our strategy and it's now the structure. And we couldn't be more excited about where we think it's going to take us. Okay. So a lot, of, a lot of people that might be listening in might not really know Canadian National or, or know its network. You know, it has a pretty unique network. It's like a T network up and down uh, the Mississippi and connects the, the east and west uh, coasts of Canada. Can you talk about some of the other aspects of CN that make it very unique and, and give you guys an advantage over whether it's your competitors uh, or other modes? Yeah, you know, you've you made a good point around it being a T network. What I... I um got to know this network uh, for a lot of years when I was working across the street and um, it has some considerable strengths and over the last 18 months I've had the chance to get to know it from the inside as, as well as get to know the operating team. 
So it has that tri-coastal um, access. So for our customers, we offer them um, global port access on all three coasts. In the West Coast, it's Vancouver and Port-au-Prince Rupert. In the East, it's Montreal, Halifax, and St. John. And in the South, it's Mobile and New Orleans. And we think that kind of optionality is really critical as markets move quickly. Uh, if you look at, you know, 25% of the nation's freight, of rail freight goes through Chicago. And a number of years ago, we bought the EGNE, which is essentially a bypass around Chicago that allows us to transit through that part of the network very, very quickly and provide that level of service to our customers. We have, um, you know, a great northern access in Canada. So if you think about, you know, the resource rich and energy rich northern Alberta and British Columbia and Saskatchewan. You think about the precious minerals that are in the northern part of eastern Canada. Those are all proximate to our lines. So we think it's we think it's a, a great network that allows us to offer some pretty cool services um, to our customers and some unique growth opportunities uh, for right. our shareholders. On that growth opportunity, you know, when I, when I think of the port of uh, Prince Rupert, um, it's pretty unique. Uh, I had the opportunity to go up there twice since I've been covering uh, you guys for a long time. I don't want to tell me how many years it's been, but uh, it's, it's a pretty uh, interesting uh, port. Can you talk about the opportunities that you have, whether it's import or export, whether it's intermodal or commodities going in and out of that port and kind of the investments that, I don't, that, that CN is making uh, with that gateway? If you have been up there, Lee, uh, you would have noticed a couple of things. It's a pretty special place. And uh, there's a lot of investment going in and has been going in over the last few years. We think, you know, it offers current customers and, and those that we imagine in the future considerable advantages. If you're a container in China and you're looking to get to the mid-continent, uh, we can get you there two days faster. Rupert's the closest kind of sailing point to Asia and we have a premium service out of Rupert right into the mid-continent or into uh, Toronto, Montreal. They recently announced, you would have heard, the Ridley Island Export Logistics Park. That's going to allow us to um, transload various commodities and, and allow those containers to go back across um, loaded, whether it's plastics or grain products or wood pellets. Uh, so we're building that. The import facility is under construction as well. Uh, so it's long been a strategic part of our intermodal strategy, but right now it's growing across the liquids as well. We exported with a customer uh, a record amount of propane at Rupert last year, and we've just signed a new agreement with Altagas that's going to see that volume continue to grow. Uh, it is a main export point for a number of our bulk commodities as well. So it's a great uh, diversified um, um, asset for CN and for uh, our customers. All right, great. And, you know, and when I do think of CN relative to maybe some of your peers, you know, uh, the network has a lot of growth opportunities, uh, whether it's bulk or intermodal. Outside of uh, Rupert, can you talk about some of the other growth opportunities that you're looking to develop uh, on the network? One of the great things about this railroad is that we have a very diversified portfolio. So Rupert is uh, key to our growth when it comes to container business, when it comes to some of the liquids business and the bulk business. But we see that across our network. We're positioning Halifax and some of our East Coast ports to be the North American ports of entry for business coming from Europe and through Southeast Asia through the Suez Canal. We are 
uh, leaning into the electric vehicle supply chain in eastern Canada. We're now moving lithium out of the north. Uh, we'll move that uh, some of the raw critical minerals. We'll move them as processed into the battery factories, and then uh, we'll participate in the electric vehicle kind of whole value chain. Uh, we have a tremendous growth in uh, fuel distribution in eastern Canada. We have uh, partnered with UP and the FXC to get trucks off the road between Mexico, the United States, and Canada. And we're doing a, a number of those types of partnerships as we look forward. So the growth is, is across all of our commodity lines and uh, it's about helping our customers build their businesses as well and growing the economy. Yeah, you mentioned that the Falcon service uh, with CN, uh, UP and Grupo Mexico. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, exactly what does it do? What's the benefit of it um, for maybe your customers today or your customers for tomorrow? Our challenge is railroads has always been able to provide the truck-like service that moves consistently. It moves with enough velocity and it moves at the right price point to make rail a real option to trucks. And that's what this service is intended to do. The truck market between Mexico and into the U.S. and ultimately into Canada across commodities is significant enough uh, you know, we're targeting one to two trains a day in that service over the longer term. That's what we think we can we can um, we can grow it into. Now, it means we've got to have that consistent, fast service that can um, provide transits and local delivery in a very truck like way. Uh, so what that's going to mean is that the three railroads getting together have got to act like one railroad. And uh, we're doing that right now. I'm pleased with the, the levels of service that we're providing and volumes are, are starting to grow. You know, you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, you know, leveraging technology. Um, could you just talk a little, maybe some specifics about what kind of technology you're employing across the network, not only to make it more efficient, but also to make it a safer uh, operating environment? Yeah, our technology is really focused on on a couple of areas. Uh, one is, the, the, as you say, the operating efficiency and safety, and the other is the way that we interact with our customers. So on the operating efficiency uh, and safety, the, the objective is to keep the trains moving, to inspect them in as much of an, an, an automated fashion as possible and to have them stop as seldom as possible for any kind of issues, safety related or otherwise. And so the secret to that is proactive and automated ex, um, inspection of cars and of our infrastructure. So we have a car called an ATIP car, a number of them that move across the territory, our full network, on trains every day. And those are monitoring the quality of the track infrastructure, looking for early signs of defects. Uh, and our uh, engineering forces go in in advance and address those issues. If you think about the quality of the, uh, the equipment that runs on the tracks, we've got wayside detection that looks at you know, either visual or audio or temperature. Uh, it's always sensing of whether there's issues that could cause, um, you know, a slowdown or stop of the train. Uh, and, you know, that's progressing as well. As I said, number of derailments fall about 90% over the last 10 years, and that's pretty impactful. Uh, so that helps our velocity. It helps our on-time train performance. And it certainly keeps our communities uh, and our employees much safer. From a customer perspective, uh, you know, we want to lean into as much automated service levels for our customers as possible. And we think that there's great potential, uh, you know, things like 
AI, generative AI, to make that system and that process much more effective. Ultimately, that needs to run across supply chains. The opportunity is not just to do well with your customers on the railroad. Uh, you know, if you're a container uh, or if you're a carload of potash or if you're an uh, auto rack with vehicles in it, we want our customers to know where their shipment is across our railroad, but across the full supply chain, whether it's terminals or vessels. That's the opportunity in the future to help the full supply chains run in a more effective and efficient way. In, in addition to these sort of technologies, obviously CN and the, 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 the greater industry are making investments in different kind of locomotives uh, with the end goal of reducing carbon. Can you talk about what CN's doing on that end? Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, there's no denying uh, that, you know, our climate is changing. We live with that impact every day. Uh, you know, we operated through Canada's worst forest fire season uh, in history and uh, some of the floods that resulted from it. And, uh, you know, that impact is significant to both our operation, but also the operation of our customers. So it's not something that we want to just adapt to. It's something that we want to play our role in creating a very different future. Uh, and so it starts at the, the, the first baseline, and that is the, the role that companies like ours can play in offering carbon efficient transportation. So you're, you're, if you're moving by rail versus by truck, you're reducing your emissions by 75% right off the start. From there, it's how do we consume as little as fuel as possible to move every pound of freight that we're moving. Uh, and, um, you know, we have 85% of our emissions come from locomotives. So this is about fuel efficiency. It's about the way that we operate our locomotives in the handling of the locomotives. It's about technology on the locomotives. Uh, and we are now about 15% more fuel efficient than even the average of the North American railroads. So that's good progress. From there, we have leaned into fuel blending. Uh, so we blend renewable and biodiesel into our diesel and locomotives that reduces emissions. And ultimately though, you know, the future is going to involve a different kind of locomotive, a different kind of propulsion. And that our industry is um, doing a lot of work on as to what that's going to look like, whether it's electric, uh, whether it's a hybrid, uh, or what the future of locomotives is going to be. So that's pretty critical part of our path forward. You know, on the edges, on the other 15%, uh, we're working um, there to make sure our, our emissions continue to reduce. We have a partnership with Lion Trucks uh, on some of our... Um, truck business and uh, you know we're looking at all of our operations to electrify and to reduce emissions so it's a big part of the day-to-day -day business of this railroad right now right and, and all these technologies you know require in, uh, financing and so could you just talk about you know your your capex plans um, that I know you've announced some longer term plans during your last analyst day can you talk about, you know, the breakout of what you're spending your capital on? We talked a lot about our capital plan when we um, un unveiled our three-year program uh, to our investors uh, earlier this year. Our spend on capital is always going to start, first and foremost, um, on our network, uh, with our ability to maintain it and to replace it as we consume it but also to invest in our growth. We've got lots of volume growth that's targeted at parts of our network that don't need capital or expansion capital, um, but we have lots of great opportunities with our customers where we will invest with them as well to grow. So that's always the foundation. 
when it comes to our shareholders, our plan has always been and continues to be that our dividends will grow roughly uh, with earnings. We think that that's a good strategy. Uh, it's been consistent and we get a positive reaction from our shareholders on that. Beyond that, uh, we are looking to adjust our leverage ratio up to about 2.5 debt to equity. And we'll do that over time through share repurchases. Okay, and, and you also, during your uh, your analyst day, you gave a, a longer term outlook for 10 to 15% diluted EPS, uh, Kager. Um, obviously, 2023 is not turning out the way you probably thought it was going to, uh, given um, fires, flooding, strikes, bad demand. Um, so is that target still a good target? Is it a moving target? Does the lower, easier comp for 2023 from 2023 make it easier to get to? We're sticking with that target. When I came in, we did a tremendous amount of work on what we saw in the future, uh, whether there is growth in railroad out there. And we discovered that there was. And a portion of this growth that we laid out, we actually have a five-year plan with a softer 10-year view. And part of that you know, lies, is dependent upon the strength of the economy. And, uh, but part of it is separate from the economy's customer initiatives. Uh, some of which we're working now, some of which we see in the future around how we drive growth specifically with our with our customers. So we put all that together. We combined it with the operating efficiencies that we're delivering. And uh, we came up with a 10 to 15 percent earnings per share growth uh, at Kager over the next three years. And uh, as we watch, the economy hasn't been what we expected. As you saw, we've had some third party shocks this year. The operation has been wonderfully resilient through that uh, and uh, you know our customer initiatives are coming along on plan or ahead of plan we've announced um, you know a new deal with altagas to increase our propane exports on the west coast we've got all the investment going into the port of prince rupert we have a fuel facility that's opening up later this year uh, that'll move considerable volumes of fuel in eastern canada uh, we are starting to move uh, that lithium that we talked about in the electric vehicle supply chains. So our customer specific initiatives are unfolding as we would expect. So yeah, it's going to be a lower base year. Um, we are watching the volume start to grow and we are on or ahead of plan on our customer specific initiatives. Okay. Well, consensus as you guys growing adjusted EPS at 11%. So uh, out of the gate, I guess you're starting off uh, within the range, which is, which is good news. Um, could you uh, talk a little uh, about, uh, you know, we, we, we began the conversation about operations. Can you talk about your service levels now? What metrics do you closely watch uh, on a daily or weekly basis to know uh, that the network is running well and it's, and it's improving? Yeah, I like the way this railroad's running. Uh, you know, it all is on that foundation of a scheduled operating plan. And what that means is that we're not optimizing to any particular yard or any particular part of the network. We have a central group, the network operations team, that puts together a plan uh, that drives you know, velocity, the service to our customers, and uh, it optimizes for the full network. So when I get up every morning, I look at how well we are executing to that plan. So I look at on-time train performance, firstly. And we are, um, year-to-date uh, in 2023, uh, about 90%, which is up over about 80% last year. And we made a lot of gains last year. So that's excellent kind of um, year-over-year improvement in an environment 
as you pointed out, that we've been dealing with a lot of fires and, um, and, and uh, the West Coast strike. I'm really pleased with that. Our car velocity, which is the number of miles a car moves every day, is up 10% year over year. Our dwell, which is how long, how many hours cars spend sitting uh, and not moving, is down about 10%. And so this is driving a consistency and efficiency in the operations. But it's also what drives uh, the level of our customer service. So the on-time train performance combined with what we call first mile, last mile service, so the movement of a customer's car from a yard to their facility or the reverse, uh, that's now up over 90% for the last two quarters. And so our, our efficiency is running where we need it to be, and our on-time service is um, operating at or ahead of where I would have expected to be uh, given what we've gone through this summer. So the, the railroad's running well. And was there a lot of uh, muscle memory uh, in terms of your the people that work at CN when you pivoted back to PSR? Um, because obviously CN is one of the founders of PSR with Hunter Harrison. Um, you know, so just wondering since it was, it seemed like it was always under the surface. Was it easy to to bring that back? Yes, much easier than I thought. But let me say first, I'm not sure what, we don't call ours PSR. I'm not sure anymore what PSR is. I don't think anybody, everybody, I think, believes it's something different. So what we're running is a scheduled operation that's, um, we want it to be disciplined and focused. And, uh, you know, so when we launched it last April the 1st, the intention and what we did was launch it in phases because I thought it would be difficult. And we launched the change is always difficult. And this was big change. So we launched it first at the four uh, hump yards across CN. And I was stunned how quickly they picked up this concept. But you're absolutely right. What turned out was we had enough people that had been here when we used to do this. And once they knew that this is the direction that we were going, this just started to move. It happened very, very quickly. And the improvement is still coming. Uh, so it is muscle memory. Uh, and I think that everybody, our job as leaders is to make this plan as simple as possible so everybody understands it and everybody sees their role in it. And everybody understands this plan. Uh, it's a scheduled operating plan. They know what the metrics are. They know what success looks like. And they know what their job is every day when they come to do it. Uh, so it's, it's running very well. Okay. And then, you know, we were talking earlier about the, the long-term targets that you have, the 10 to 15% uh, EPS growth uh, through uh, 2026 from 2024. What, per, what percentage of that is relying on volume growth versus what you guys are doing on the productivity side and the operations side? Do, can you, are you able to break out, you know, where that growth is going to come from? Well, here's here's what I, how I'd like you to think about it. We've done a lot of work in the last year and a half of getting our operation structured, uh, optimized, and running well. Uh, and so we are, we're maintaining that plan uh, through the freight slowdown. Right? So we had an option of, of um, cutting a lot of resources. We opted not to so that we can maintain the integrity of the plan, we can maintain the service level to our customers, and that we're positioned as the volume starts to come back. So what you see now is a railroad that's running well and has the capacity to lift on the resources that are in place to lift as soon as the volumes comes back. So you're gonna see that margin leverage uh, really start to lift as volumes return. And you know, outside of the organic growth, uh, is CN, are you constantly looking for acquisitions, whether that be inside or outside of the railroad uh, uh, industry? 
Well, I would tell you, we, you know, we look at our business through the lens of how do we power the economy and the growth of the economy and how would we partner with our customers uh, to continue to, you know, help them grow. Uh, and, and so that's the lens we'd look at that through. If you look back in the history of CN, uh, the acquisitions of railroads has been a big part of our growth story, whether it was the the Illinois Central, the Wisconsin Central back in the 1990s, early 2000s, whether it was, uh, you know, we bought a number of short lines um, after that. More recently, the, um, you know, the railroad uh, around Chicago. Uh, but the way that we look at this is, is what are the opportunities for us to provide better levels of service uh, to our, to bigger groups of customers? So we are open for business from that perspective. We are doing a lot of partnering. And we're going to continue to lean into those partnerships in various ways. We just did a deal on, on the CBNS, a, a G&W property in Eastern Canada, uh, that we think positions us well for the future of growth in Eastern Canada. Those are the types of things, whether it's a partnership like the Falcon or whether it is a um, asset-based partnership like uh, the G&W the deal, uh, we're looking at all kinds of ways uh, to, to add to it the ability to partner with our customers. Gotcha. And feeding the network's important. Um, you know, all railroads have a lot of stakeholders, whether it's uh, shippers, employees, regulators, or investors. H how do you balance that, all those different interests uh, while running a railroad? Well, listen, I, I like to say that uh, we're a stakeholder company with a railroad attached to it. Uh, we um, operate through hundreds of communities, you know, two countries, uh, you know, lots of provinces. And uh, our stakeholders are becoming increasingly important uh, to our ability to imagine a future. And so as we talk to them, uh, you know, all of their issues on the surface seem, seem complex and seem unique to them. But as you really get into it, I think that there's um, a commonality across all. What everybody wants at the end of the day is a strong economy and safe communities. And if we can lock arms, it's going to take you know, partnership and some collaboration. But if we can understand this and lock arms around how to do that, then I think that, you know, we, we bring stakeholders together and we get organized around how we do that and what each of our, our role is on that. Uh, so if you think about powering growth, it means, you know, not just how the railroad performs, but it means how all parts of the supply chain perform and perform together. So we certainly watched through COVID and the recovery from COVID, the importance of highly performing supply chains that have the right level of capacity when our customers uh, and our communities need it. Uh, we need to get better and better at that. Uh, and if we can do that, I think our stakeholders become, uh, you know, a lot happier. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, from a, a growth perspective, trade flows, that we are more impacted by the geopolitical landscape uh, when it comes to economy and volume than I think we ever have been before. We need to understand where all that potash is going to move or where the new canola crush is going to want to move so we can have the capacity in place to do it. If we work with stakeholders and our communities well, uh, we can do exactly that, but it's going to take some cooperation. If you think about safety, uh, as I said, our aspiration is zero harm, injuries, you know, zero fatalities, and zero impact on the community, including you know, a, a better and better emissions profile. So I think at the end of the day, our interests are absolutely aligned. And if we're going to achieve our collective goals, it's about working together, not working against each other. Right. And on the regulation side in the U.S., there's more and more talk about reciprocal switching. Um, 
I know that there's something similar in Canada. Do you have any concerns about it coming to the U.S.? Uh, do you have any thoughts on reciprocal switching? It's really it's incredibly important that we have the right regulatory environment. We all need regulation, um, but what we want is the right regulation. And where we're aligned with the regulators is we want highly performing supply chains that have that right amount of capacity uh, where we need it and that we provide the right service to our customers. So I think if we're providing the right service to our customers and we're doing it in a safe manner, uh, that we're going to get the kind of regulation that we need. We've had, as you say, levels of different kind of extended inter-switching in Canada over the years. Uh, and we've learned from that, uh, that when done well, that kind of regulation uh, enhances service to customers when done poorly. What it does is is slow down supply chains. It means that our cars move more slowly. It means that the supply chain uh, reduces in capacity and it is a disincentive for investment. So done well, it helps. Done poorly, it has uh, unintended consequences of diminishing the performance and the capacity of supply chains. Okay. And then just uh, kind of a, a near-term question. Um, how are volume so far uh, in, in the fourth quarter? Well, listen, uh, we believe that we hit the bottom from a volumes perspective this summer, and we've seen sequential growth since, say, July. And so one of the benefits of a diversified portfolio, our bulk business is strong. We're moving potash, uh, I think record levels of potash, the grain crop is all moving. Our metallurgical coal is, is going to move uh, very well through the remainder of this year. Uh, if you look at our merchandise or our carload commodities, we've seen a bit of inflection. Um, certainly, frac sands moving strongly. The plastics and chemicals have started to pivot up. So that's, you know, we're starting to really see the firming of that part of our business. It is the consumer section uh, of our business that's got a bit of a question mark. And if you look at container business, been impacted by a couple things, as you know. There was a flood of containers into the continent last summer, and so we've been working through, uh, the retailers have been working through that inventory. We think that inventory is getting back down to roughly more normal levels, so the question really becomes what consumer demand looks like as we look forward. And then, of course, we had the West Coast port strike in Canada here uh, that took the port down for a couple of weeks. Uh, that had a unfortunate impact on the container business coming into the West Coast. We position Rupert as the port of access for not only Canada, but also the United States in particular. And so that volume has um, reverted to US ports of entry for right now. We're working hard to get that back. Um, but you know, we think that it'll come gradually over the course of the next year. So it's a mixed bag, a diversified portfolio on an overall basis, we see strengthening and that is very good news. And is the uh, is the domestic intermodal uh, as weak as the international intermodal? Domestic intermodal actually stayed stronger longer, uh, and uh, we're starting to see it firm up earlier uh, as we as we look forward. So, but the two of them are tied together. You think the international volumes come in, and the domestic uh, program plays a role in making sure they get to the right places. Uh, so we expect to see, as I say, it lift through through next year. Um, we called it wrong. Uh, last year for what would happen this year. So I'm a little bit cautious about, uh, you know, specific projections, um, but we, we believe it will come over the course of next year. And then also, you know, ag has been, uh, was a, a great growth uh, driver for CN, helped mitigate some of the weakness that you guys had in volumes. Are, are 
what what's 2024 looking like? Because I mean, you're going to have very difficult comps. Uh, are you able to grow that business next year? I had to tell you, you know, ag is going to be a continued growth story. Uh, if you think across the broad market sector, the yields continue to grow up on grain. Uh, ag is going to play a big role in the new fuels. If you think about the canola crush uh, that, that goes into into some of the new fuel production, I think about potash that's being produced in Canada to help the ag sector, uh, you know, uh, grow those yields. So, you know, when you get right down to it, this year, we're moving a lot of potash. Um, the grain crop is not quite as big as last year. And the risk is, of course, for 2024 that um, it will run out of the crop a little bit earlier to move. And then from there, it gets, it, you know, it depends on how the crop turns out in 2024. But I think that, you know, separate from the puts and takes of any specific crop or any given year, this is a longer term growth story. Okay. And then I, I guess, uh, can you maybe just Maybe one more question before we go. Can you can you talk about the the auto industry and you know from my per, my perspective, it's a it's a long term growth driver for CN. Can you talk about where that growth's coming from? I would tell you that uh, the auto sector has been surprisingly strong uh, as we've gone through this year, uh, and we don't see that abating at all. I think there are still some inventory issues that are being adjusted, um, but as we look forward the transition to electric vehicles and where those investments have been made. Uh, is going certainly part of our growth strategy. Uh, we look at it through the whole cycle, the whole supply chain, right from kind of the critical minerals that are going to go into that, to the batteries, uh, into the vehicles, and then the movement of vehicles. Uh, and so we're pretty excited about that future. We're glad to see some of the labor issues that they've had there be resolved. Um, and, uh, you know, it's going to be growth for the continent, but certainly growth on our network as well. All right. Great. Fantastic. Well, I think uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Tracy, I really want to thank your time. Uh, I learned a lot uh, about CN and railroading. Uh, and I want to thank everyone for joining us on the podcast. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please subscribe and uh, please uh, rate the, the podcast. Uh, until next time, have a great day, everybody. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.